0: Hello, and welcome to Ascent Dental Radio, a program dedicated to the balance between the clinical aspect of healthcare and the business of healthcare. And now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Coughlin.
2: Good evening. This is Dr. Kevin Coughlin, and you're listening to Ascent Dental Solutions with a focus on knowledge, education, training, and development. I'd like to give special thanks to Mr. David Wolf and his team for producing these podcasts, And I'd also like to thank Henry Schein, Patterson Dental, Vocal Dental Supplies, and On Demand Force. With their support and recognition, these podcasts are made possible. My name is Dr. Kevin Coughlin, and tonight, as over the last several podcasts, I've been very fortunate to have experts in the field that relate to healthcare and dentistry in particular. And tonight's guest is Mr. Ben Tunane. And Ben has uh, an extraordinary background and an expert in negotiating fees with insurance companies. And I know most of our listeners have heard over and over again about how to negotiate fees, but I thought at this point it would be appropriate to bring an expert who can maybe walk us through the options and really educate us and how much money in time, we're losing with many of these insurance companies. Ben, thank you so much for your busy schedule and taking the time to chat with our listeners tonight. Give us a little background about yourself and how you got started in this field.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Kevin. It's a pleasure to be with you here today to chat on your podcast with your listeners. Uh, So I've been in dentistry uh, since 2007, Prior to being in dentistry, exclusively the business of dentistry, that is, I used to work for a fundraising group that was based out of Detroit and New York City. And so I I acquired a decent set of negotiating skills from that previous employer. And I was recruited by a friend of mine that was looking specifically for somebody that can handle third-party payers or insurance companies. And they flew me out to Phoenix, Arizona, where their group practice was located. And this is a group that does about $50 million a year at the time in collections, and I went through a, a three-day overview of their business. I gave them a lot of recommendations. They wanted me to specifically focus on insurance, their write-offs, and how they bill and things of that nature. Just like any, most dental practices, 95% of their income was from insurance. And so I took a look at that and found a number of opportunities and made a bunch of recommendations to the CEO. I didn't know at the time that they were looking to hire me or somebody like me. But I gave them some recommendations that would help them recapture a few million dollars back, you know, reducing their quote unquote write offs and putting more money back into their bottom line. And one of one of the ways to do that was the obvious. Let's let's negotiate these insurance rates. So long story short, I gave the recommendations to uh, the CEO directly and presented my findings. And on the spot, he offered me a job. He asked me to be their executive director over third party payer relationships for the entire group. Within a week, I you know I thought about it, and I decided that uh, what they were offering was attractive and in dentistry, as I started to research things kevin I, I started to realize that this whole notion behind negotiating insurance fees was a foreign concept because I spoke to each of the individual dentists and I asked them, in your own private practices or if, if in your experience, have you negotiated fees with insurance and everybody's response was, "I did not know you could do that. We just accepted what the insurance companies were willing to offer. And that sort of set off, um, you know, it, it was like a light switch that turned on in my mind. And I immediately thought opportunity, not only an opportunity to, to, to figure this out for this group, but um, sort of become a pioneer in this area of dentistry simply because it seemed like it was an area of dentistry that was, I, I shouldn't say ignored, but it just wasn't focused on that at the time. So I accepted the job. I quit my job in New York and uh, moved out to Arizona and I've been in dentistry ever since.
2: I can tell you your biography is incredibly impressive. I can tell you as a practicing dentist for 38 years uh, with as many as 24, 25 different dental practices, I've sold to a couple of managed service organizations, venture capitals. I've been solo, I've been large. I've had as many as 200 employees, as few as 12. And I can just tell you that right here in Massachusetts, Ben, For the last almost six weeks with the elections going on today, in Massachusetts, there's been this push about allowing small mom and pop car repair places to be able to fix these sophisticated cars, which if the large corporations don't allow software information, they're unable to address the needs of your vehicle. And I laugh when I listen to these advertisements over and over again. It's your car. It's your car. It should be your decision on how to fix and maintain your car. Yet in healthcare, every single day, we're allowing insurance companies to dictate care, treatment, and reimbursement. And uh, this just seemed like a great segue, having your background, to try to help our listeners. In your opinion, uh, based on your background since basically 2007, what do you typically see as an increase after your negotiating skills? Is it 1%, is it 3%, is it 15%, or does it vary per procedure? But on average, what can you expect your, quote, average small group practice, less than 10 offices to a solo practice expect as a return from your negotiating team skills? That's an excellent question.
1: And I'm totally with you on the part of insurance dictating care and all that. And We can chat a little bit more about that a little later. But to answer your question about, you know, the expected average increase, uh, you know, particularly for a solo practitioner or a group practice, it depends on the state that you're in there's a direct correlation in terms of the larger PPOs like Delta Dental and in your state you have Mass Health and here in Utah we have Select Health which is you know run by Intermountain Healthcare and they have sort of a monopoly on the healthcare market here in states like ours that are totally unique where we have almost a dominant player that 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 has almost 50 to 80% of the dental insurance accounts in that state it's increasingly tough to negotiate with plans like that. As you've experienced, Dr. Kevin, you know, Delta Dental of mass, uh, well, your Delta Dental a few years ago, uh, reducing rates, you know, for some practices, it was a 25% increase, for others, it was a 10% increase. And we see those things in in unique states like Massachusetts, Utah, the state of Washington, where Delta is the dominant player. Now that's not to say that Delta is not negotiable. In the state of Washington, and I know if any, executive for Delta Washington hears this, I'm probably going to get another letter from one of their attorneys by letting you know that they are still negotiating fees. Same thing in Massachusetts, but everything is relative to what you charge and what the area fees are and where you've been historically on your fee schedule, you're assigned a fee schedule from that insurance company. To give you a short answer without going into too much of the boring details, we typically see from most PPOs out there that are negotiable, increases that are that exceed 10% now this is I'm speaking about a practice that has never negotiated fees 10% is a good average to, to aim for you're not going to win every battle but I would t- well, I would accept every win that comes in because every every new fee schedule does count even though you're in Massachusetts where you may think that Delta's the dominant player well if Delta doesn't negotiate with you but you get 10% increases from the rest of the payers, I mean, that could, that could equal forty dollars to $80,000 extra that just goes straight into your bottom line annually. You know, when you add that up over a career, that's a lot of money. In other states like Georgia, or I would say maybe even uh, Florida, where there's a, there's a more equal spread of uh, market share among dental plans. You know, there's not necessarily one dominant player that has the vast majority or a monopoly of the accounts in that state more insurance carriers in those states negotiate simply because they're all trying to fight for the employer's business. They're also trying to fight for your business as a to participate with their plan in an effort to help them sell dental plans. And in those states, you see higher increases, you see 20 to 30% increases, like MetLife as an example, I would say this example of MetLife is true everywhere I, I help my clients, is that we typically see on average, a 30% revenue increase from, from midlife. You know, not, now, when you look at an average procedure code, that means some codes go up by 50%, some only go up by 15%. But in the end, you know, the bottom line, we just look at the, the total revenue increase. And I would say in states where you have a typical dominant player, like a Delta or a Blue Cross, like in Kansas, it's a Blue Cross, um, usually those states you'd see roughly a 10% increase. And then states like Florida or states that have a more diverse mix of payers um, it's it, it's it's well above that. You know, twenty to thirty percent would be a good a good target,
2: Mr. Tuning. When you're doing these negotiations with the company, is it a particular individual that you're discussing this with? Is it a board that you're discussing this with? Is it a, a group? In other words, if you were to call just for conversation purposes this evening, MetLife or Delta Dental. Who are you actually reaching out that makes these decisions?
1: Another great question, Dr. Kevin. You know, we, every insurance carrier has a different point of contact, but it's usually a single person that's not necessarily an upper-level management individual. What we find, it's mostly an, either a low-level or a mid-level management. You know, usually they have titles like provider relations manager or network manager, Those are the individuals that typically help you become credentialed with that plan. And those are the exact same people that you want to talk to, to initiate fee negotiations. Now, there are more people that are involved. It's kind of funny, though, when you look at the structure of uh, an insurance provider relations department, particularly on the on the component of negotiating fees. It's almost like purchasing a vehicle where you're dealing with a, a direct salesperson. And then that person goes to their sales manager and then they play the the good cop, bad cop where the sales manager ultimately has a final say. So even though you're dealing with a a mid-level or or a lower level management person like a network recruiter or a network manager, um, they do have a supervisor that, that ultimately approves fee increases for you. And the decision behind that is not, it's not a sophisticated decision where they look at actuarial data for your practice in particular and determine well if we give them x amount of dollars and we're going to lose x amount of money it's a lot it's a lot more simpler than, than that because these insurance companies know what fee schedule on average all the providers need to be at in order for the plan to maintain a significant profitable level and so as long as they're staying be, below that average the manager over the network recruiter or network manager would then, or the supervisor, that is, would, would give an immediate approval. But in terms of who to deal with at the insurance carrier, deal with the person that helped you become credential, credential with the plan and look specifically for these titles, network recruiter or network manager.
2: Okay. Let me ask you another question, Ben, if you don't mind. From the point of inception, your firm has been hired, you've done your analysis from that date on, is this typically completed in 30 days, 60, 90, six months, nine months, on average for group practices, let's say 10 offices or less to the solo practitioner? What can our dentist listening tonight expect for a turnaround for results?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent thing to consider. Um, For a solo practitioner, it's usually a lot faster simply because you have less decision makers on the part of accepting a fee schedule and less need of a lot of the analysis that typically is required at the group practice level. So the solo practitioner is usually what you're looking at anywhere between, I would say, four to seven months, sometimes a little bit longer. The seven to eight month insurance fee approvals, uh, they usually come by way of umbrella network situations where You know, let's say you may be contracted with Denimax, Connection Dental, or Zealous, which is another popular umbrella network. Now, those umbrella networks do lease to Aetna, Guardian, MetLife, and a lot of solo practitioners want to make the decision to to maximize the use of those umbrella networks by moving as many of their contracts that they already have from a direct contract to an indirect contract through the umbrella carriers to get higher fee increases. Now, those... Those indirect fee increases take a lot longer. Usually, I would I would budget at least eight months for that to be achieved from start to finish simply because there's the whole game of terminating and then reapplying with that carrier through an umbrella network, you know, brand new credentialing so that takes time. So that's the umbrella networks is, is up to eight months. but the direct negotiations, if you're if you're willing to accept lower fee increases on a direct schedule from, uh, directly from insurance carriers, usually three to five months is is what it takes. Now, for group practices, it's a little bit longer in my experience simply because there's a lot more analysis involved. You know, there's a lot more consideration behind whether group practices or individual offices in a group practice want to utilize an, an aggressive umbrella network strategy or not. And then behind that, there's a lot more training involved with group practices simply because it's not just the front office that you're dealing with, you know, to coach them how to, how to, how to utilize umbrella networks, but it's the, the billing team as well. So just because of the factor of multiple offices, multiple decision makers, group practices, I would say with direct negotiations, about the same as solo practitioner between three and five months, but umbrella network strategies often take a year, a full year to complete.
2: And let me ask you a follow-up question. When we look at uh, dentistry in particular, and we have our broad categories of prevention care, we have restorative care, surgical care, periodontal, endodontics. When you go in, do you ask for a percentage increase across the board? Or do you go in and say, look, we're currently getting $89 for a prophy and we'd like to get $93? or is it a mixture of both?
1: Excellent question. You, you always want to start off with a general fee increase for the plan. And the reason why is because you, know, you want to raise all codes, as many as you can, and as high as you can. And, and once you kind of, you know we usually go through at least four or five rounds of that with an insurance company just on the general fee step of all codes. And once the insurance is getting exhausted with that method of negotiations, then we start to narrow down on the top codes. For general dentistry, it's around 35 codes that we focus on. And then for specialists, anywhere between between 10 and 20, depending on your, your specialty. But we always focus on those top codes simply because you know, if, you, if we achieve a 15% increase on the on the general fee schedule, and we know that we can pursue at least another 15%, but we'll only, we'll only be able to do that if we, if we limit the number of codes moving forward. So it's a negotiating strategy to distract the insurance carrier from negotiating all codes and just focusing on a few set of codes that doesn't seem as impactful on their end. And the other thing with identifying top codes is you also want to consider negotiating alternative benefits. Now, this is very, very important for oral surgeons and general dentists, where typically your surgical extractions are downgraded to simple extractions. Even bony extractions are downgraded to simple extractions. The patient is always on the hook or should always be on the hook to pay the difference in the allowed amount between what you submitted or what you actually performed and what the insurance company actually paid. So, if those alternative benefits or quote unquote downgrades are not negotiated, in the end, it's the patient that suffers by paying more. Posterior fillings, as, as an example, you know, you do a four surface on a posterior tooth that's a composite it's downgraded to four surface amalgam, you know, the difference of of uh, out-of-pocket to the patient, you know, that could be well over $300, $400, but you want to negotiate those alternative benefits and downgrades just so that you help the patients reduce that overall out-of-pocket. Why is that important, Dr. Kevin? It's simply because 37% of adults in the United States that have dental insurance, only 37% actually use it. You know, and so insurance carriers have an extreme rate of underutilization or underusage of the dental plans, which leaves the insurance carriers with a lot of money left over that doesn't ever get used. Of course, that goes to their profits. So, negotiating those downgrades, even though you may not perform those downgrade codes like amalgam or anything else, still include them as part of the negotiating process and mix them in with your top
2: codes. Ben, let me, let me ask you a follow-up question on this. In an area such as myself, uh, where there's roughly 400 or so practicing dentists within, let's say, a 50-mile radius, and whether it's Delta Dental, MetLife, Etna, et cetera, et cetera, the name isn't important here. If they upgrade my fees for this conversation of 5%, are they obligated to do that to the other dentist in that zip code, or that's just, hey, Dr. Smith negotiated a better deal and Dr. Jones didn't, so Dr. Smith gets it. So my question basically in summary is if they're giving an increase to one practice, is that insurance company obligated to share that increase with other practices or not?
1: I love where you're going with this line of questioning. (laughs) Now, the short answer to that is both yes and no. (laughs) And let me explain. It is against antitrust for doctors to discuss fee schedules with the intent of using fee schedule data to raise rates. You can discuss fee schedules with each other all day long. You just can't take action on using whatever knowledge you have about insurance reimbursements for another office and use that in your discussions to negotiate with an insurance carrier because that's a direct violation of antitrust per the attorneys that we have on retainer. And insurance companies know that. And the other part is that most, I would say these days, almost every insurance plan, if you do negotiate a fee schedule, you also agree to sign a non-disclosure agreement which means that if you or your negotiator, if you're using an outside firm, disclose those fees to another office within that region, then you could lose that fee schedule. And you could likely get an overall reduction as a penalty for violating antitrust because now the insurance carrier would have leverage over you for a case to accuse you of violating a federal law. And that's the reason why insurance, the, the no on that, why insurance carriers would not give your neighbors a fee schedule if they honored it for you. They have no intent of leveling the playing field from a fee schedule perspective. If you're good at negotiating and get a good fee increase, uh, uh, that fee increase will only be applicable to you because of the confidentiality and antitrust issues. Now let's, let's rewind that conversation a bit. And let's say, yes, they are required to give other practices that same fees. Now that doesn't happen, But according to the federal antitrust laws, the component that is outside of the McCarran Ferguson Act that exempts insurance companies from the enforcement of most antitrust laws, there's a restraint in trade within the federal antitrust laws that prohibit institutions like insurance carriers from discriminating among their provider network in terms of offering different level of fees to different doctors. Now, the sad thing is, is that this, this whole restraint and trade issue has never been effectively enforced in dentistry. Nobody's really stood up to the insurance companies and say, hey, this is against restraint and trade. And I trust a part that's enforceable to the insurance industry. But we've used that. We've used that against insurance companies and say, well, what makes this doctor more favorable than this doctor, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and there's so many different things and, we, and I hate to use um, all the, the different discrimination arguments, but we have. We've used every single angle into the discrimination book to point out the fact that the insurance carrier has absolutely no legal justification to say that that doctor is worth more than this doctor. And we just have to build an argument to really cut up that whole fee discrimination component within the, the, the
2: federal antitrust laws. So well, if ben, you're- affected, I wanna tell you that uh, I've probably done well over 150 podcasts And I find this is uh, one of the top podcasts I've done as far as interest and support and your expertise. I can't Thank thank you enough for this knowledge and information. Would you be kind enough if you don't mind? How can our listeners reach out to you if they have questions or they'd like to hire your company or just need additional information? How do they reach you?
1: Oh, you're so kind, Dr. Kevin. So uh, you can find us on the web. My website is VeritasDentalResources.com. Veritas is spelled V as in Victor, E-R-I-T-A-S, DentalResources.com. Or you can email me, Ben at VeritasDentalResources.com. Or you can give my office a call if you have questions. My office number is 888-808-4513.
2: Well, Ben, thank you so, so much. I know how busy you are. I know our listeners will find your information incredibly valuable. My name is Dr. Kevin Coughlin. You've been listening to Ascent Dental Solutions with a focus on knowledge, education, development, and training. Again, a nice shout out to Mr. David Wolfe and his team for producing these podcasts. And thank you for our sponsors dental supply companies, Henry Shine, Patterson, Vocal Dental Supply Company, and On Demand Force. Without their expertise and support, these podcasts would be extremely difficult. Ben, thank you so much. I'm looking very forward to getting you back as soon as possible, because I know I'm going to have a lot of additional questions, and I think it'd be a great help to our audience. Thanks very much.
1: It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Kevin.